When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we'll focus on passages and destinations. And in other episodes, we'll talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And if we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. Hey, but before we dive into this episode, we need to say a special thank you to our supporters. Several listeners are supporting the podcast using Patreon. If you would like to join them, you can go to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Bela. All the listeners uh, have been really amazing. Um, now, this is the last part, right, of really what's been kind of a six part episode uh, with Simon and Sawyer. And I think the listeners need to know that. It might be better to start with episode 93 before they do this one, 94. And if they haven't listened to anything with Simon and Sawyer before, that they might even want to go back to 84 and 85, right? Because I think we've done 84 and 85, and then 88 and 89, and then 93, and this one's 94. So there's really been six with them. Yeah, That's right. About this number six. Thing. Yep. So About their first crossing across the Atlantic. Yep. Yep. So we'll put the, those in the show notes just to, to make sure everybody's got it. But for those of you that have been dutifully following along, right, it's the last part of a really amazing journey. Yeah, it is. And so this is the final leg. This is the leg from Spain to the UK, uh, where they crossed the infamous uh, Bay of Biscay and the English Channel. So very different than uh, their sail from Newport, Rhode Island uh, to Horta. Uh, this is uh, a much more busy and sort of much more uh, uh, part of the uh, ocean that has a reputation, particularly the Bay of Biscay. So uh, let's jump right into the interview. All right. I'm excited to finish this one up. Yeah. So, you know, we had to get to to England, right? That was kind of a mandatory destination. And, you know, we're, we're looking at the weather in, in you know, Western Europe at this point. And it's not very tenable to go directly from Spain to England in one shot because, again, we can't, um, you know, we, we just don't know what we're going to hit four days out, five days out. And so instead, we decided to do uh, like a four day passage across the Bay of Biscay to Brest in France. And then from France, then it's like a two day passage to Southampton. So our next leg was, yeah, from Acarunia to Brest. And that was also very weather dependent. We ended up you know, in this case, leaving a lot earlier than we had anticipated to take advantage of a weather window because we weren't sure when the next one yeah. was going to be, right? It could have been another couple of weeks um, yeah. before we'd have that opportunity again. And even so, we ended up 
I'm a bit of a hairy situation coming into Brest. Uh, our, yeah, our worst weather experience, you know, our, our most dramatic sea story was definitely crossing the Bay of Biscay. And, you know, the Bay of Biscay is kind of infamous. Yes. And we were a little bit scared about it. And it was, you know, a challenge, challenge to cross. It's only, you know, so it's only 350 nautical miles, more or less, from the, the northern Spain to Brittany, to, to Brest, which back when we were in, in Horta, we we're like, oh, 350 miles, right? No big deal. It's like three days, two and a half days. You know, we can just pick a good window and go. Um, one of the reasons it's a, it's a challenging place to cross in later summer is that you really don't usually even get three days. You know, it's... Mm. These again, lows are coming off of Greenland uh, or or the Canadian provinces. You know they're spinning counterclockwise, and the kind of tail of that spin often ends up coming into the Bay of Biscay. Um, and then the coast of France there is a big, long, concave coast uh, where the um, the seafloor goes from 12,000 feet up the continental shelf up to about 100 meters um, within about you know 100 miles of the coast. So you get a lot of a lot of fetch, a lot of weather big rollers and then it hits the continental shelf and it, it makes it a pretty volatile um yeah area. so yeah. um we were we were hoping to stay and sail around spain a little bit longer but um weather wasn't looking good and then our, we were talking to our weather people every day and they said hey you know you got a two and a half day window here two and three quarter day um and if you don't take that you might be a week or two week out you know we don't know so it's up to you but um you know, you could go now. You're probably still going to hit something right at the end, but you could go. And so we decided to do that. Um, and that would require us leaving actually early in the morning one day. So wait, wait for sun to rise. We could get out of the harbor, which we weren't that familiar with. And then, you know, sail as quickly as we could to try to get to Brest before the weather. So we had some issues with even leaving. And I know. With that. We, uh, yeah, so, so it was a pretty choreographed because the, you know, the, the way the timing of this passage worked is, you know, we were going to leave, I forget the exact days, but we were going to leave on day one. And we had to get into Brest, you know, by the evening of day four, I believe, um, because that's when the next low pressure system was hitting. And it was a, it was a big system. Um, and we don't want to enter Brest at night, this unfamiliar harbor. Someone once told us that, Bela. <laughs> it was five nevers. Never, 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 never enter a harbor at night. You said that, and that's what we were thinking about. Three days. Actually, it was three days across. Was it three days? Okay. Um, and, you know, but, but in order to make, so it was possible, but it was going to be tight. We we're going to have to move pretty fast. And, you know, we were comfortable doing it because, you know, three days is within our motoring range, right? So even if we had to right. motor all the way across, we could do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we wake up at, it was five in the morning, six in the morning in Acruña on day one, we're ready to go, turn on the engine, engine starts up, start taking off the dock lines and the engine dies. And oh. it took, took us <laughs> like two and a half hours to get it going again. Um, and it ended up being a clogged fuel filter, but of course, you know, you replace the fuel filter and then you got to prime the, the engine it took a while for us to yeah to so remember on that that trip from a couple things so so in horta we were low you know we pretty much used our fuel getting to horta right so we had to refuel which we did and uh it's kind of well known in the circles people cruising around europe that the one that the diesel in europe has a lot of uh bio diesel in it so it's it, it's prone to growing stuff which can clog yeah. up the filter 
Um, and you know, the the less frequently the fuel is changed, the more like at the pump, right? The more likely it's going to be kind of contaminated. And Hort is a little town on a little island, and there is traffic coming through, but they're not pumping thousands of gallons a day, right? So we we filled up with fuel that was you know okay, but probably a little marginal. And then as we mentioned, that trip to Spain was a beam reach, uh, so really rolly, right, for six seven days. So all the sludge and stuff in the bottom must have must have come in we made it into spain without noticing everything was fine and you know we started up the engine on that day we we're going to leave fine and then within three minutes the engine yeah mm -hmm. so i guess we i mean lesson there would be we probably should have checked uh maybe even proactively changed our fuel filter the day before um but we've never had that happen before. I mean, people talk about it uh, in Salem. We've never had an issue with a fuel filter. We changed it. We changed it before we left on our trip. Sure. We got, never got gummed up. Yeah. Um, I mean, in hindsight, it's pretty lucky. It would have been oh. really inconvenient if we were, you know, leaving the marina or something and the engine died and we couldn't oh. get started. Again. That's, so, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's that's my nightmare, right? Because in my marina, I I have a I have a narrow channel I have to go out and, you know, coming in or going out, that that's my that's my nightmare. My engine's going to die. Uh, I mean, so, so Sawyer's at the helm. I'm untying the dock lines on the bow and he's like saying something. I don't know what he's saying. And then that's he's like, there's there's no engine. <laughs> but I mean, if we, you know, if I had tied, untied the dock lines right. a little faster, right. we would have been drifting into the boat behind us. So sure. we got yeah. it lucky. Yes. Yeah. So now in future legs, we, we, would, we would check and change our fuel filters. And I don't know, I feel like now, if, before we go, we should start the engine and let it run for like <laughs> 10 minutes, just kind of, <laughs> kind of make sure it's going. So, but we love, yeah, so it, this is critical for us because, you know, we had a tight weather window, everything kind of had to work really well, and we already were starting like a two and a half hour delay. So it made it a little bit, a little bit tighter um, yeah. on, on that trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say on the engine, because, you know, Bailey, you're with us for this one, you know, we, we've had the bow thruster fail a couple of times that we have on yes. our boat. And, um, you know, we, we have a working bow thruster now. We love using it. Um, but we've learned to dock pretty comfortably without the bow thruster. Without it, yep. And so when we have it, it's a bonus. And so, you know, I think with a lot of these pieces of equipment that you rely on, you, you really take it for granted until it just dies on you. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, whenever we're coming into a marina, you know, at least I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, what happens if the engine dies yeah. right now? Right. Yeah. Right. Is our anchor ready to run? No, so we've done those things, right? We've, we've, we've turned on the, the windlass and we've like unfastened our anchor. Um, you know, common sense stuff, but if the engine dies, we can run up quickly and drop our anchor. Yeah. And right. we've thought about that now that our engine actually. Now, now that actually happened. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the trip up to. Uh, well, Pete, before you, before you go there, I wanted to talk, just bring up a couple things. Engines dying. So uh, episode uh, 79 and 80. Mm -hmm. is a story uh, with the guy named Mark Tizen, who uh, has a Catalina 445, and he was coming into a harbor, and his engine died. <laughs> and and he ended up on the beach. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, that's that, that was a great story. Uh, and uh, his engine died because he, you know, he his engine died, and then he hit something, and he couldn't steer the boat, and I mean, just you know, it cascades into all sorts of stuff. The other thing I wanted to say that which is interesting is I've seen these uh, two filter setups, yeah, you know, yeah. where you can basically throw a throw a valve and switch from filter A to filter B, mm -hmm. and I always thought those were that's a good idea. Uh, and the and the other thing I think is interesting 
is given that fuel filters are so important on diesel engines, it's a pain in the butt to change them. You think <laughs> they would, you think they would figure out a way somehow that, you know, you could just unscrew the darn thing and screw the new one on and push a button and it primes it and does whatever it's supposed to do because it's like, uh, it's a freaking nightmare. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's actually like a lot of things on the boat that you don't do. Not that you, not that you don't think you need to do it. It's just that right. it's a pain in the neck and you don't want to do it. You, yeah. I mean, if it was just unscrew the filter, screw a new one on, yeah. you'd do it a couple times a year just for the peace of mind. Right. Well, so actually, I mean, a quick aside, but I think it's interesting when, when we were leaving uh, Rhode Island, you know, we changed our fuel filters. I mean, in, the, in that process, we ended up getting like a, I don't know, a couple pints of diesel fuel. Yes. You know, we, we caught right in a, in a can so that, you know, now we got to get rid of it. The marina no longer takes it. I guess they right. had rule changes or they, you know, they had some problems, people abusing the system. So we were asked, well, where do you where do you drop it off? Well, there's like a you know a hazardous materials reclamation site that the state runs, but it's only open from whatever to whatever. So it was really challenging. We ended up going to five or six auto like zones. So we found yeah. one where the manager agreed to you know to take it. Um, anyway, just a little aside story. Yeah, it, they they certainly it, it, the marine industry certainly hasn't made that interesting, or excuse me, hasn't made that easy mm -hmm. and convenient. And it's it's something that most people with a diesel engine at some point in time are going to encounter. Yeah, it's 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 really important. And, you know, it took us a couple hours to fix, but we were at the dock. Um, you know, it would be really hard out, you know, in a big sea state with your seasick and everything else and your head's underneath the engine. <laughs> yeah. You're trying to bleed the, the you know, the lines and stuff and diesel splashing all over the place. Yeah. Not sure you've seen videos of people doing it. So it's a real thing. And now we know. Yeah. To allow the extra time or to maybe be proactive about changing our fuel filters and things like that. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. So oh, let me ask you another question. So is there a way that you can kind of hop up along the coast and not do line across the Bay of Biscayne? Can you basically, you know, do day hops up the coast of France? It's not, not great. Um, so there aren't that many ports uh, mm. that are, that are good. So it's a, it's a notorious Bay for lots of reasons. And one of them is that, um, there's a really tremendous tide, uh, which we didn't fully appreciate. And that was one of our problems when we got into Brest. There's actually, uh, when we got into Brest, it was a 23-foot tide that day. Holy smokes. <laughs> so it's not like you just go and like anchor in a nice little spot, right? Or, <laughs> or this is a nice little town. Let me just pull up here. Um, you know, you really need to know the local landscape. Um, and there's few places that you can go. Uh, so there's that. And then actually, again, the shape of the bay is like this. So... Um, it's a it's a long way out of your way to to, to go like that, which means you're just increasing the chance of, of getting bad weather. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the third issue that we were running into with this particular you know weather forecast, you know not just on our weather window but for the next couple of weeks, is that the wind was predominantly coming from the west, mm -hmm. and because it has this crescent shape, right? So it's mm -hmm. easy to sail along the coast of Spain. And I think there are some cool places on the coast of Spain that people do, and then maybe the the southern part of coastal France. But it's really hard to sail on that top like part. Around you're going into the wind because yeah. you're. I mean, you're, you're trying to sail upwind, right? So it's not just like little, yeah, little, uh, harbor hopping. Um, you'd be, you know, sailing upwind into 25 knots. Yeah, I mean, like La, La Rochelle is in the middle. That's another famous sort of sailing yeah. nation in France. So there's some real sailors there. But no, it's most people just try to just try to cut across and and do it quickly. And uh, yeah, so that's what we tried to do. So we actually made great time. We we left again. 
uh, once we got our engine going, the skies were blue and the sun was mm -hmm. out. We were doing I think six and a half knots. And, mm -hmm. and then we had, this was probably our, our strongest wind and, and biggest waves in general, looking back through, through our notes. Uh, we had 12 to 15 foot seas for pretty much the whole way. And the wind was, we were getting, we were, go, we were going like past 90. So like about 80 degrees, 75 degrees. So we're getting apparent winds of close to 30 knots, 28 wow. knots. Um, so I think on the second day, actually, we we brought our, we took our main down and our head sail, we just had like a four foot by four foot little triangle and we were still going six and a half knots. Mm -hmm. um, but the boat was good. We were, you know, sun was out, boat was good. And um, we, the way the geography is too, as you get up towards Brest, there are some little rocky islands that are about 40 miles west of the entrance to the Brest Harbor. You got to go around those. Of course. <laughs> yeah, they're called something terrible, like, you know, the rocks yeah. of death, right? So right. you got to go around those rocks. <laughs> but but it's in French, so it sounds really romantic. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you go around that, and then you've got, yeah, I think it's 35 nautical miles kind of east-northeast to get to this very, very narrow inlet into the Brest Inner Harbor. And that inlet's about a mile and a half wide and three miles uh, long. It's called the Goulet, which is uh, means like bottleneck. That's what it is. So anyway, so our goal, we had all planned out, right? Our goal, the storm is coming, it's supposed to hit around like seven o'clock at night. And the storm was forecast to be uh, upwards of 50 knots and wow. 30 foot seas and a big, a big low coming in, one of these big lows. But our idea is, we, you know, we can get up there, we can make this right turn, the storm comes in behind us and, you know, now we're running with it. And we'll probably beat it mostly and we'll get into breast and you know it should be fine so we we got to the turn at around noon as mm -hmm. i recall mm -hmm. and we're like okay we're on time now right so we're doing like our seven knots so we got like you know maybe like five hours to go and then means we should get to breast by five o'clock and we're going to just beat the storm and then we, we, we as we made the turn now we're starting to get into like the ais like field that we can see you know we're starting to see the bay and you know we see 25 miles and we only saw two boats in, in, in total in this, in this 30 mile by 30 mile, like, bay. I'm like, wow, where are all the boats? You know, and we talked about this before, when you're out in the ocean, you start just, you don't think straight, right? So like, where are all the boats? And I think Sora's like, oh, maybe they don't really do fishing in France. Like, <laughs> it's not really a fishing culture. I'm like, oh, you're right. It's more like baking culture. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do they know that we're not aware of? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> no, it took us. It took us like ten minutes of like talking, and then I think I forget. One of us said, "You know, it reminds me of that like that famous last words, like, hey, I wonder where the mother bear is.' Right. So, like, hey, why are there only two boats here? So, you know, basically everyone knew that a big storm was coming, and um, that kind of kicked us into gear, mm -hmm. and, and we started trying to make as much speed as we could. Yeah. So I'll turn it to you because you handled the the last part. I did. Yeah. So we, you know, we were sailing in. And, uh, you know, what kind of two things ended up happening. Well, really three, three variables all started changing at once. Um, one, it started getting dark as we were entering this harbor. Um, so, you know, light levels going down Two, the wind speed is increasing. So, you know, when we made that turn around the islands, it's probably 25 knots or so, but it started, you know, clicking up, um, every hour. And then the third one is as we started getting, you know, closer and closer, to the Goulet, we started getting this crazy adverse tide, like four knots of current against us. 
Yeah. And we've never seen waves like this, the, the wind against current. And it just kept building and building and building. And, you know, it, it got to the point, pretty soon we kind of looked at each other and we're like, you know, all right, you know, grab the helm, you know, undo the, uh, the wind vane and... Um, we closed the companion way. Closed the companion way, yeah. Locked it up. Uh, really only a minute before a wave, you know, came into the cockpit. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we had this... So Brest is this quite large bay, uh, inner, you know, inner bay, probably 10 miles across, uh, going through this narrow channel, and it's a 23-foot tide. And, you know, it's, again, shame on us. We, we didn't know all the local knowledge. We didn't know that this is this much of a tide. And we've been thinking about the weather a lot. We hadn't really been thinking about the tide charts, right, because we've been ocean sailing for so long. And so we end up making this turn, hitting this, uh, this bottleneck, as they call it in English, with we were getting 35 knots across the deck so close to 40 knots of true wind um, with a four knot current coming against us and it's like everyone talks about that wind against current right we we, we had these waves were really steep mm -hmm. um, they were probably still in that 15 foot range but when you look behind they're not like a nice kind of rolly wave they're like right that japanese woodblock print you know <laughs> like this so yeah, um, and they were not just coming behind us now. Now they're it's like a washing machine, right? They're coming mm -hmm. from the right and the left. So um, yeah, so basically we stood together in the cockpit, Sawyer steered. Yeah, and he was steering, you know, trying to go through each wave, trying to make it not not break over us. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know I, I felt in control. I think the boat handled it really well. Um, you know, we were under sail all the way through the harbor, and you know I, it, it was balanced and good. But it took a lot of um, concentration and a lot of manipulation of the helm to keep the boat on course yeah. uh, it was not it was you know de definitely outside of what like an autopilot or a wind vane would be able to do yeah, um, yeah. and it, you know, it did feel like the stakes were high because we were you know like we came into this harbor you know we're going dead down when we got the whisker pole up with a reef genoa you know we don't really have the space to maneuver right we don't we didn't yeah. really have time or the ability to take the pole down easily um so yeah it was just you know it, it worked out but it did require a lot of concentration. Yeah. So we broke the rule, Bela, of never, 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 you know, enter a harbor. No, you, ha you had to. So we got that, that bottleneck at, I think, around midnight, and then we still had another hour to go oh, up this wow. channel. Yeah, about uh, this about three and a half miles up a channel to get to the marina. We had this, the first one was full. We had the second one, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it's by then it's raining, and you can't really see the buoys, and they're not. The same as on your chart exactly so it's a little stressful well we made it around the uh, the breakwater and um yeah we, we threw on our spreader lights i think we mentioned maybe once before we, we put we put this really bright spreader lights it's like a fishing boat and it lit up the whole area which is great uh -huh. and then uh, we were able to pull into the um the concrete dock and uh that was the probably only time we've ever, you know, kind of embraced. <laughs> no, we, we we embraced, but embraced upon like hitting, like getting to our marina. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. You kissed, you kissed the ground. Yeah, we were very happy. But as, you know, once we finally got the dock, and we we didn't realize this during this last hour or so, there was another boat that was following us right behind us. But we were so focused on in front of us. Sure. We didn't see it. Mm -hmm. They came in, and once we pulled into the the concrete dock, they came in front of us. Um, but they had some problems with their steering. It was also a two-person crew. They were pretty frazzled. Uh, they didn't couldn't see very well, and they actually smashed into the dock in front of us and put a hole in their boat. They put wow. several 
gash was in their boat, but they put a, an actual hole in the boat. We ran and helped them and got them kind of tied up. Um, and, uh, you know, they were OK and they probably had to get some repairs done. But it was a it was a kind of a storm. The next morning when we got up and went to the cafe, the front page of the paper was about this crazy storm. So mm -hmm. we, we definitely um, beat it in. Yeah. And and was the storm predicted? Yeah, well, yeah, it was predicted. I think it ended up being stronger than they expected when we left. Yeah. Usual. They seem like they always get stronger than <laughs> not weaker. Um, no, it was predicted. Uh, you know, we 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 knew it was coming. We had a we had to get in. Um, again, we lost a couple hours in the beginning, and right. Uh, right. the biggest the biggest challenge for us actually was this wind on you know wind against current. Mm -hmm. You know, so we 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 got the winds that we expected 30, 35, yeah. 40 knots maybe. But you know, we were thinking we're making the turn that's behind us. Right. Right. You know, right. We were thinking of. Apparent wind of 35 will just get into the harbor. I mean, yeah. you know, so, so the vice versa or the, or the opposite scenario, like if the tide had been instead of four knots against us, four knots with us, right? We would have been doing, you know, geez, 11, 12 knots. Right. True right. into this harbor with a very relaxed sea state. Um, and we probably would have been docked by nightfall, right? But we, just, we hadn't really thought through the tide component of this. Um, it was the first time that we had experienced like a really strong tide. Yeah. And the yeah. thing that's interesting, because when we do coastal sailing, we're always looking at the tides and we're thinking mm -hmm. a lot about it and we're looking at active captain and what people say, hey, I guess we kind of got out of the habit. And you know, when you're out in the middle of the ocean, it's not really a factor. Right. And, and it became a factor. So, yeah. but those tides are significant. So actually the north, you know, northern part of France and, and the UK, really serious tides. And and it, it changes how you sail and, and where you stop. and when you leave, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, some good uh, good lessons learned there, huh? Yeah, some basic ones, really. <laughs> I know. Some people are gonna watch this and go like, "Ah, oh, these guys are so stupid. Like, how do they not know that?" But it's it's uh, there's a lot to be thinking about when you're when you're sailing. Absolutely. And sometimes the really basic things um, can catch you. Again, we were we were okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember another two. It's this like you know a couple hours where we're we're going against the 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 tide and the rain and looking at the buoys and we're trying to like focus. So we're looking at the chart a lot. The other thing I noticed besides the fact there are no other boats out there is on the chart, there's all these wrecks, like a thousand, <laughs> like a thousand wrecks. I mean, part of it, of course, they've got 500 years of history or a thousand years of history. Right. But it's also, you know, plenty of other boats in the past, right. have been caught on a, a lee right. shore and, and gotten stuck. It was kind of, um, I don't know made you think <laughs> mm -hmm. did. yeah i think i think the other thing that that pops into my mind here is you guys had that delay in the beginning yeah and and you sort of get focused on that and you say we're leaving today and yeah. you know at two hours can make a big difference yep. uh and and particularly with a tide because maybe the tide has now changed direction right so sometimes that notion of of uh always taking a step back yeah. When there's when there's a bump in the road to what yeah. your plan is, and saying, okay, does does the does the course I'm on still make sense? Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I know I lose sight of that all the time, right? I mean, it's like I'm like so focused. Okay, I, I, okay, I had an hour delay. It was only an hour. That's fine. I'm glad I got that fixed. Let's keep pressing on. Yeah. And and then you know there's another hour delay, and then before you know it, for sure. Oh my gosh. And I think the thing with these multiple multiple day passages, right, is that you really, you know, it's very difficult to, to know when you're going to arrive. You can't. It's three, right. four days out, right? So you come up with this 
we're going to average five and a half knots and we're going to, you know, it's a right. 400 mile journey. So we think this, right. But you really don't know. So I think what, you, you know, ideally in a perfect world, if you have the window, right, is that you, you have like an extra half day or a day kind of around your destination where maybe you arrive and you just sort of just hang out, right. Or you slow down or you heave to, and you wait for morning to arrive or you wait for the tide to be, right. be favorable. Um, it's very difficult to have it, you know, you just come in hot into your destination <laughs> right. four days later. And, and, right. but um, I mean, in this case, yeah, we, we, we did think about some of these things. This window was looked like the best we were going to have for a week or two. And we did have a little time pressure we felt now. Sure. Um, sure. And we felt like it was, it was the best decision and you know, it was okay. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, don't forget the basics, I guess, is the lesson yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. Okay, so now you're in France. <laughs> and uh, where, where to next? Talk so, about the next leg. This is our, our last leg. So we go from France to England. And uh, this is a, a short passage. You know, it's, it's only a, a couple of days. 180 miles from that. Yeah. Miles, yeah. Um, and, you know, we're, so we're just going to go around the tip of France and straight into, you know, the south coast of England. Um, you know, for me, this actually ended up being one of the most challenging, uh, at least the most challenging 24 hours <laughs> of, of the sailing trip um, because there was so much traffic. Yeah. And so it, it made it really hard to sleep, yeah. you know? I mean, like the, the AIS alarms are going off constantly. You know, we're, we're always making course corrections or changing our sail plan. Um, you know, so, so what, you know, would have been, yeah, 180 miles, pretty easy. Um, but it was a really hard 180 miles. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Uh, I know it's a sailboat, but if it's that dense traffic, why not just motor through something like that? I mean, I, I can't remember if we how much we were standing, how much we were motoring. Uh, we were going through the traffic. We, you know, so I remember, yeah, we, we started out sailing with the tide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we motored at night, mm -hmm. uh, parallel to the to the uh, traffic separation zone because of no wind. Yeah. And then when we turned, we had wind. I don't know. I mean, often, you know, we're we're moving well with our sails, right? We're, we're actually going faster with our sails, and um, we can go in most directions. So, um, you know, part of it too. Well, so I, I guess there's the two things that come to my mind because it's a it's a fair question. Is like, you know, number one, I think our maneuverability under sail is actually not much. Um, lower than our maneuverability motoring, right? I mean, we're pretty comfortable, um, you know, configuring our boat, at least in this case, in a way where it's pretty maneuverable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're probably sailing with, um, you know, Genoa, no whisker pole, yeah, we, no main. Yeah, we took the right? whisker pole down, so we had a little more options. And so that, that gives us pretty much any direction we want. Um, you know, the other one that's, I think, actually much more important, and I didn't fully appreciate this until we started ocean sailing, is the, the motion of the boat when you're under sail is completely different. Yes. So if you're out there in the English Channel with the tide and you got the wind on the beam and you don't have a sail up, it is almost untenable down below. Yeah. Um, so that's good. Yeah. So there's yeah many cases we we put our main up where we didn't really need to. Yeah. Uh, from from a you know adding velocity standpoint, just to kind of stabilize. stabilize the boat. So yeah. the English Channel is you know it's it's also got serious currents about three and a half knots. Yeah. Of, um, and so you get this wave, this wind on 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 current issue in the channel itself. So the waves weren't um, super big, maybe yeah. eight, 10 feet, but they were a much shorter period and much choppier. So it was a, 
It was gloomy too, remember? It was so, yeah, it was cloudy. That was a low point. Oh boy. <laughs> it was just gloomy and choppy and we didn't, we couldn't sleep more than 10 minutes because of all the traffic. So we had our timer set, you know, 10 minutes, we just press repeat, repeat, repeat. And this, so the, the spot where we ended up crossing the, um, the shipping lanes in, in hindsight was, was probably the most stressful spot we could have picked because, you know, <laughs> we, we ended up crossing the shipping lanes. That's, I'm going to try and paint a picture here for a second. So we've got, it's a essentially a four-lane highway, right? We've got two lanes coming towards you, two lanes going away from you. But the you have one group of ships that are rounding the coast of Spain. And then you have another group of ships that are rounding the coast of Ireland, right? So either, you know, the ships that are going to New York, right, are passing through Ireland, and the ships that are, you know, going through the Suez Canal, right, are going around Spain. And so you have these two lines of high, like these two highways coming up and they have to merge into one and then continue east. And we ended up crossing right where they were all merging. So we had the equivalent <laughs> of, I don't know what, eight lanes of ships and they're crisscrossing each other, right? Because there's, there's no like on-ramp, there's no right, bridge right. where, right? So the ships are weaving back and forth and we can't figure out what they're doing. You, you don't, you don't, know, don't know which direction they're going. It looks like they're coming like this, right? But they're planning, of course, to turn in three miles. So, right. yeah. it was, so was, was, was that another point in the trip where you looked at each other and said, why are there no other pleasure boats out here? All there's out here is these big ships and there's no other like smaller boats. That, that is the point. That is the point where we heard it. So, it's other thing that's different. In the U.S., at least in the Northeast, where we're most familiar sailing, but I think most of the U.S., there's a lot of radio traffic. Yes. Too much radio traffic, actually. People are constantly chattering on the on radio. 16. Yeah, 16. Yeah. Easy. We didn't see that in Europe really at all. No. Very, people are very judicious with their radio traffic. And this was this area where the one guy got on the radio and was, I mean, using real seaman's language <laughs> <laughs> at this one sailboat we didn't see that was not didn't have his AIS turned on. So yeah. um, it is a funny cultural difference, right? You're on the East Coast, you get you know, the radio's constantly going off, right? The Coast Guard's on there, and you got the security calls and people complaining about wakes and fishermen talking to each other. You don't even hear the Coast Guard out there on Channel 16. Um, you know, it's 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 eerily quiet. Yep. Nice. Um, no radio checks. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no radio checks. Also yeah. radio check. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like a you know, we're, we're trying to cross this eight-lane highway, and, uh, you know, it essentially just meant that we couldn't sleep, that I couldn't sleep. Um, and so, yeah, it was just hard. It was just hard, yeah. Way. I mean, we're, I mean, that, the upside was we were close to our final destination. That was exciting. Sure. You know, yeah. you see something, you can see the, the coast of England, right, the White Cliffs and everything that you think about. Um, it was just a, yeah, it's a, it's a hard, um, it's a hard piece of water to cross. It's always been that way, right? Um, it's a, uh, <coughs> as is Brittany. I mean, I, so I have a lot of respect for those sailors, and we met a lot in in you know northern France, and then in the you know English Channel area. It's a tough place to sail. Yeah, um, joke. One thing that was kind of striking, uh, sort of I think picked up on it, is that you know most of the boats we saw were cruising, like local cruising boats at this point, right? They weren't crossing the ocean. They were that was our home waters, um, and so they weren't set up for long distance cruising, meaning they didn't have like solar panels. That you would see if like a boat or it didn't have like a like a like a wind vane. However, from like a safety gear standpoint, they were like ocean sailors. Like they all had um, 
dam buoys. Mm-hmm. They all had life rafts on their on their deck. Um, you know, you had the sense that even though they were going a little day sail around Isle of Wight, they were prepared for, you know, serious ocean sailing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if some of that, I mean, it's good to hear, but I wonder if some of that's regulatory. It could be. You know, some European countries take uh, take a more stringent view of some of those things. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it also could be that. And maybe that's, yeah. maybe it is with the AS. Maybe they've not mandated it. Um, yeah. I would say in general, the boats we saw, I mean, our whole trip were better prepared more sort of earnest sailors than you know in general you see sure uh, on the east coast of course there's, there's a lot of great sailors and earnest sailors on the east coast too but um it's not that hard to jump in a boat and <laughs> go around as you know right so. it's scaringly easy <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know no so i mean people are all and they take it seriously i think there's a lot of pride these are you know real seafaring kind of nations they take a lot of pride yeah. in seamanship so yeah yes we had, we had so i mean not to make a big dramatic story but you know we did have some Equipment failures then too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a crash jibe actually. So our normal, I think our winds were around 20 knots, not not super strong. Yeah. Yeah. We were sailing downwind, um, you know, maybe a couple hours. We have a, a boom break to um, keep our yeah. main in position and it works great. Um, but we had a really, what well, we kind of unexpected gust, probably about 40, 45 knot gust, uh, a little bit in the wrong direction. <laughs> And we had a we had a crash job, so we actually broke the traveler. Um, oh. Yeah, and the 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 boom of. The, of <laughs> Sorry, get calls. Um, the boom, uh, the 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 bolt holding the gooseneck onto the mast came out, and uh, it was it was sort of hanging by a thread on one side. So the boom wasn't completely off, but the boom was sort of now. Yeah. Like, and not really functional and then our um uh our jib ended up kind of backing uh and got all tangled up on itself uh-huh. so, uh yeah basically yeah we're only like eight hours from our destination and we have no main and uh, we, we have, we have <laughs> <Yeah>. no jib <gym. laughs> and are you are you guys still in the shipping lanes or the, the no, traffic we're, we're past that, actually yeah, yeah. okay but um uh, it was just sort of frustrating kind of and embarrassing that we had like let this happen. I know. Yeah, we're sailing into Southampton, and the boat's in complete tatters. Like, um, that was that was, yeah, disheartening for sure. Mm. But we made yeah, it. I'm sure, I'm sure the locals were thinking, how did we ever lose that war with the guys from the United <laughs> States? Well, so you know, so it takes a lot of pride in his, his seamanship. So we actually stopped about I don't know three hours before the port. And we just stopped, and then we 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 got the boom back on, and we were able to get the jib unfurled, nice. and we got everything all ship shape, so we could enter the harbor. What'd you say, like, with honor? Or yeah, something? with honor. <laughs> <laughs> so we did. We we made it. It was good. Uh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So you made it. So uh, if you reflect back on the whole thing, yeah. What's the? Is there like one or two or three things that that were real takeaways for each of you? Um, And it doesn't have to be about sailing. It could just be, hey, you know what? This was a wonderful two weeks with, you know, family together, right? I mean, that's fair. For for me, it was an amazing once-in-a-lifetime experience. I'm I'm not sure if I'm ready yet to commit to a twice-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, It was... It was amazing. It was it was certainly kind of life changing, um, but it was hard, and 
and I have like such a renewed appreciation for folks who do true ocean sailing. It's it's just a very different. Yeah. Um, it's it's not coastal sailing times twenty. You know, times the the time. It's it's a whole different different situation. Um, but you know, you meet all these different folks out there. That it's a it's a different culture. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Like the coolest part were the 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 people, especially in the Azores. Yeah, I, you know, I say it's it's it, it was it was hard. I think it mentioned this last time, right? It's it's the hardest yeah. thing ever done physically and mentally. Um, you know, that mental part is is something. It's it's it, the highs and lows are extreme. Um, you're 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 doing something, you know, doing one thing for like 17 days or I mean, that was that short, 20 days, 25 days. It's that's just hard mentally um, to do. Uh, it was great experience. I'm super happy I did it. It was it was life changing. Everyone says life changing, right? And it's like a throwaway term, but it was life changing um, when you're out in the middle of the ocean and the ocean doesn't care about you uh, and you just have to rely on yourself. Um, you know, I tend to worry a lot about stuff. I'm, I'm a goal-driven person who worries about my job and about, you yeah. know, finances. I'm always thinking about that. And I'm the kind of person that goes on vacation, is always looking at his phone, that kind of person. I didn't think once about that stuff. <laughs> because it's so meaningless when you're out there. The, the, the ocean doesn't care. No one cares. You're a little speck. And you do need to care about some stuff, but it's not that. And right. that was, I, honestly, it's probably the first time since like kindergarten that I wasn't worried about whatever, you know, some, mm-hmm. something that I wasn't doing at the moment. So that's yeah. that's different. And I, again, I'm sure people talk about that and it's like a throwaway stuff, but it's real. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know we're, we've been back for a while now and uh, at least for the moment, I still have that feeling, right? I'm, I'm kind of taking things in stride a little bit better, I think, um, things in perspective. Um, people ask me about the trip a little bit. It's kind of hard to talk about it in terms of like how I felt because it's hard yeah. to express, you know. Um, but I would say it, uh, at least it, for now, it does feel like a reset, like a mental reset. I've done this, kind of wipe the slate clean and kind of think again about what's important and, and uh, you know, what you want to do in life. Yeah, yeah, excellent. That's a great way to summarize and wrap this, wrap this episode up. Uh, while you were saying that, it got me thinking about, you know, I've, I've never done anything like this. I have no desire to do it. And now after talking to you guys, I even have less desire to do it. <laughs> but I but I marvel at the people who've done like eight, nine, 10, 15 Atlantic crossings. Oh, or or, or the soul. I mean, we were a small crew, but we were still two or three of us, you know, three yeah. dad to Azores and then two of us after that. I mean, solo sailors or I, I don't know how they do that. You know, sailing in the winter, or you know, we saw we saw folks sailing with kids, young kids. Oh boy, yeah. yeah. There's some hard, there's some really hardy people out there. I give them credit, and you know, yeah, and uh, yeah. But it, but it gets back to sort of I think what you were just saying is that it takes you down to the basic elements of life and survival. Can I eat? Can I sleep? And can I poop? <laughs> no, right. It, your life, your world becomes a lot smaller, and it becomes yeah, a lot yeah, right. It's it's. It's the small things and the things that are right in front of you that matter yeah. on a day-to-day but, basis. But, but that's the, but that's, those are the important things. And I think there's a common thread through, you know, whether people climb Mount Everest or whether they hike the Pacific Crest Trail or 
you know, live in the jungles of the Amazon for a month, it all of that gets reduced down to those same elements. Mm -hmm. The environment's different, yeah. but but those elements of survival and dealing with with unexpected and and how you process that and and how you deal with it is 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 all the same. I think that's what drives people to do some of those. That's, things. that's what's allur it's alluring. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, uh, it's really tough, but it's really alluring as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, this was great. I really thank you guys for coming back on the podcast and sort of wrapping up this whole big trip of yours. Uh, first Atlantic Crossing. And boy, congratulations. My hat's off to you guys for doing it. I'm envious, but at the same time, I'll be happy to remain envious. <laughs> and it's 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 outside of the scope of what I want to do, but it was a really, really great story. And I'm, and I'm so glad it turned out well. Thanks, Bill. Thanks yeah, for having thank us. It's, it's always been a great chance for us to reflect. So we, we appreciate that. And, yeah. uh, you know, think about it. Thanks to you for getting us started on this path. <laughs> yeah, we, we were not going to be able to make it from Florida to uh, Rhode Island if we didn't have you on that that first trip. Well, thank you. You're, you're, you're gracious to say that. Uh, thanks, guys. Well, Bela, this is a big emotional relief. And I mean, I'm sitting here on land, right? Um, and I know we knew we made it, right? Because you were kind of part of their land support team, as, as people know this. But it was great to put this last podcast episode together and hear the end of the story from their mouths. What struck you most about this final leg of their adventure? So I think a, a couple of things. Uh, the the whole waiting for weather uh, and the wet getting a good weather window uh, seemed to play a much bigger role in this sort of final leg of the trip than it did in the long leg of their trip, you know, Newport to Horda. Uh, it was much more sort of a factor in their trip uh, here, which was just several days long. Um, and you know, you always sort of plan about trying to arrive at your new destinations sort of early in the morning or midday. So you're not pulling into the, to the, a new unknown port and the dark and in the night. So, you know, pe everyone says, don't do that. And, uh, but, but you gotta, you know, sort of think through, man, maybe you're going to get delayed. And then what are you going to do? And there's plenty of people who say, okay, uh, it looks like because of delays or whatever, we're not making as much progress as we wanted to. Um, we're going to get into the, to the Harbor at night. So what they do is they slow down or they stop sailing and they just wait outside the Harbor, uh, or, you know, or they zigzag back and forth all, you know, for uh, half, half the night waiting for sunrise to enter the new Harbor. That's a that's a great technique, but if the weather's crappy, <laughs> that, that's all of a sudden that that doesn't come become that attractive anymore. Um, so I think you got to think through that. Uh, you got to think through, you know, if you have a five day trip, what's your weather going to be like on day six, seven, and eight? Uh, because if you're not going as fast as you thought you would, then how does that change what you would do? Um, and I think the other interesting thing that they, they talked about was the huge, uh, tides and the, and the tidal current as a result of that and how it impacted their progress, right? They didn't sort of think, it, well, I mean, we don't have that here in the United States on this side of the globe, uh, all that much, except for the Bay of Fundy. Uh, so people don't think about it all that much. And, and Bela, uh, just to jump in, because I've seen this with my own eyes here. And if you haven't seen it, it's amazing The when the tides are that big, you go, and you, if you go to the beach and you're used yeah. to seeing the waves come in, as far as you can see, there's no water. Yeah. Like the beach is, the water is gone. 
as far as you can see, it's absolutely unbelievable how different the tides are here in the North Sea and in the Atlantic with these giant tides that I've never seen anything like that uh, in the U.S. And it really is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, all of this stuff, uh, at least for me, I, I always think about, and I think I said this before, I would rather leave in less comfortable conditions knowing that when I arrive where I'm going to be, the conditions are good as opposed to the opposite. Uh, oh, I'm going to leave under really nice weather, but it might be a little iffy when I get in. And the reason I say that is because by the time I'm done with a two or three or four or 10 day passage, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I don't, maybe you're better than I am, but man, I I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I'm anxious to get there. Uh, you know, I'm probably making decisions that may not be optimal all the time. So I like to kind of flip that weather window sort of opposite of which I think a lot of people do. Uh, I like to say, okay, I'd rather leave under weather and I'm going to be less comfortable for the first day or two, knowing that for the rest of the trip, and if it takes a little longer, things are going to be great, as opposed to kind of doing it the other way around. Yeah, I totally agree. And Bela, at least from my side, the end of the conversation you had with them was so cool, right? That the lessons that they learned, their takeaways, I mean, these experiences, obviously there's things that are just totally, um, you know, unbelievable to me. Um, but I really thought that they had really done some cool thinking about this and 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 kind of what they, what they accomplished, um, the challenges they faced and overcame and what this meant to them as a family, right? Since this was kind of a right. family trip, people yeah. remember back to how this worked. I mean, you know, you have a little different perspective on all this is you're their friend, you were their land support, right? What, what do you think the listeners should really take away from this? Maybe the things that weren't said, um, you know, at the end by them. Well, I think, uh, look, if you're a parent and, and, and you know, your, your, your kids get to a certain age, they're starting to leave, right? So Sawyer's in graduate school, you know, he's, he's, he's embarked on his own life. And, and so as a parent, to be able to do a trip like this with your child or your children or any kind of big trip, whether it would be, you know, you're, you're going on a cross country, you know, trip with them or a backpacking trip or something. I think any of those things are really, really great uh, because it's, it's a very different experience than your normal living together on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you know, it's not like you get up in the morning, you go to work, they go do what they do, hang out with their friends, et cetera. I mean, you're hanging out all the time and and you're accomplishing something together. It's this shared experience and a comp and shared accomplishment together. Whether you're hiking the Appalachian Trail or whether you're sailing across the Atlantic or you're just going out for a, a day and a half sail, you know, in Narragansett Bay. Uh, I I think that's something special about that. So I, I think if you can do that, it's wonderful. And I think that's true not just for, for your children, if you do it with children, but you do it with friends. I mean, I've gone sailing with friends. I mean, that's how Simon and our first sailing trip was. I helped them bring their boat up to, uh, from Florida. I've known Simon for many, many years prior to that. Uh, and that was a special experience. So any of these things that you can do uh, where there's sort of a goal in the end, it's a mutual experience, you're working together to accomplishment, uh, to accomplish it, I think are great. So I, I think that was one big takeaway. Uh, if you have that opportunity, do it. Uh, regardless of sort of, you know, it could be a child, it could be a spouse, it could be a partner, it could be a friend, any of those things. I think it's just great. It'll be very memorable. Um, I think the other couple takeaways for me 
was sort of making the go no go decision. Okay, when are we going to depart? And and the and the pressures that that are driving you to make that decision. I think you want to be really conscious of that. Uh, that's when people get into trouble. Um, I have several friends of mine who are private pilots, and and they go through the same challenges, right? Where you know, I never with it. I think with an airplane, it's even worse. I mean, once mm-hmm. you take off, you you got to land. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, they always talk about man, a schedule is the most dangerous thing, and that scheduling pressure of leaving um, is is really bad. And and I think the the other third thing for me was this whole notion of the shipping channels, and 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 how much more complicated or stressful that can make the whole experience. We don't. I don't really experience them where I'm at. Yeah, I, we see ships once in a while, but it's you know one one every five or six hours. Um, but here it was like really really busy. So this notion of sort of shipping channels and uh, all the other traffic that's around, I think, uh, was another big takeaway for me. Yeah, it almost I imagined it feeling like you're on a bicycle on a highway filled with semi trucks going really fast, <laughs> right? You know, and they said it was like this game Frogger, right? But I imagine yeah. that, you know, the, like because they're a lot slower than these ships, right? And I mean, they're more maneuverable, right? But then these ships can't turn, but you know, they're big, heavy things and they leave a big wake, and right, there's all yeah. kinds of weird stuff going on, right? Yeah, and unlike the open ocean, where it's easy for the big ship, and, and they talked about this in the first leg of their trip. The ships would make a little, they'd change two degrees. Yeah, no to problem. Left. Happy to no do it. No problem. Right. But they're on a road. They're on a narrow road. <laughs> they can't right. do that. Right. And they're they between the two boys down. in the channel. All right. They can't right. slow down. They can't move up. There's a ship behind right. them. They can't speed up. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all up to you uh, to avoid them. So uh, I think that was a big takeaway for me as well. Yeah. Interesting. What do you think? I, you know, they said it so well at the end. I don't think I can add really anything else to this, but what an amazing journey. And thanks for kind of letting me be a fly on the wall and listening into this, because I just thought this was a fascinating story, not only from a sailing standpoint, from just from a human standpoint, right, of a, yeah. a, a, a guy and his family, right, pulling together to pull off this pretty miraculous thing. And I know people have done it 16 times, right, but it was just neat to hear it through their own perspectives. It's kind of first time. Um, crossers, you know, uh, uh, in not a huge boat, you know, it's a big boat, but right. Right, it's not a huge boat. So really, really yeah. fascinating. So, you know, Bela, thanks. And listeners, thanks for joining us uh, for this episode and for sharing in this journey with us. We hope you found it interesting and thought provoking. And maybe some of you are contemplating doing something like this on your own, um, which is really cool. If you have questions about what we've discussed, or there's some things you want to share with us, please feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, our email is sailing the east. That's all one word at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoy the podcast, hit that follow button. Uh, the more followers we have, uh, the higher we pop up in, in search results, and it's easier for other people or other potential listeners to find us. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, so signing off uh, from upstate New York, uh, until I see you guys next time, uh, take care. You too, Bela. Thanks a million. From here in Münster, Germany, auf Wiedersehen.